<laughs> Happy Father's Day, everybody. Uh, you know, moms today, we're all sweet and kind, and it's Terry, and we got Father's Day, and we got poop jokes and stuff, and so, you know, that's kind of where it is. Hey, but we do want to take a second, uh, because I understand, you know, that uh, Father's Day can be challenging for some, depending on how you grew up, and your father, and some of those kinds of things, but that doesn't uh, uh, um, necessarily mean that we can't honor those, you know, who are, and have been, and uh, are great fathers, so if you're a dad, can you stand? We just want to give a big shout out to you. Can you stand if you're a dad, you know, today. Come on, come on, come on. Good job, dads. If you haven't had a chance, there's some uh, pretty sweet rides, you know, um, out there today. Hopefully the rain's going to hold off, uh, but I do understand the price of gas uh, may hinder next year's Father's Day car show, and this is maybe what it'll look like you know, for next year. So just be praying gas prices go down. Hey, uh, you know, it's, it's been a fun last couple of weeks for me. I've had kind of three testosterone-filled events, you know, that I got a chance to be a part of. The first is in Montana. If you just had a chance uh, recently to go up to Montana, just enjoying the incredible beauty, the scenery, they call it big sky, you know, country, because it really does feel like the sky is on top of you. You know, all of the uh, green of the trees that never seem to end, the lake the streams, you know, it's one of God's most beautiful places, you know, on earth. And so just love that opportunity. And one of the things I got a chance to do while being up there, uh, just after our elder retreat, was do a little fly fishing. And so I uh, caught this fish and everybody just made fun of my hat the whole time. Uh, they said, I need to give back to my grandmother. And I understand that. You know, but, uh, but I love to fish. You know, many of you guys like to fish. Some of you guys like to hunt. You know, in fact, uh, while we were filming, you know, for Father's Day, uh, we captured this video on the UTV while we were, while we were up there. That's a bear. Oh, my God. That is a freaking bear. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> You never see bears up here. That's called Christian cussing, you know, by the way. <laughs> because I started looking around like, I don't have anything that's going to, you know, defeat a bear out of a gun. They didn't have bear spray. I'm like, what are we doing up here? You know, um, that was one of the adventures, you know, it's kind of testosterone. You kind of get excited when you have those kinds of experience. Um, then I got our chance, uh, along with 20 other men from this church, uh, to do a full tour and mission debrief. Uh, at uh, Fairchild uh, Air Force Base just a couple weeks back. It was amazing, you know, to hear about these men and women whose primary roles is to support our Air Force around the world. You know, I found out that the largest group of aircraft refueler planes called the KC-135s in the entire world is actually located in our backyard at Fairchild. So whenever, you know, you hear about or see in the news that our military may be around or moving or participating in anything, just know that we have people that are there to refuel, you know, those birds in the air all over the world. Uh, in fact, I got a chance to, you know, get in a simulator and refuel one, you know, myself, which was a lot of fun. They wouldn't let me do it in real life, but uh, I have no idea why. Then uh, just a, my third experience, you know, was, uh, you know, with this idea of flying. Uh, many of you guys, uh, like myself, got to see Top Gun Maverick, you know, at the IMAX with my family, uh, my children, our children's pastor, Trevor, that you saw on, on the screen, and his wife, Jordan. 
man, got your juices flowing to know that uh, these are real scenes from real Navy fighter, you know, uh, people, not the actors themselves. They're in the back seat. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, they're not actually flying the planes, but the planes themselves. So just uh, amazing. And to watch my kids engage in something beyond a Marvel movie, you know, they couldn't understand why they liked it so much. I said, because there's so much realism that's actually taken place that got their testosterones going so much so that my 16-year-old, who's uh, almost uh, ready to get his own license, said uh, as he got into the car and took the key, says, Dad, I feel like driving right now just like Top Gun. I said, give me the car, son. That ain't not going to happen. So be careful of movies. You take your family too. The reason I mentioned, you know, those three kind of uh, experiences is today I just want to talk to you briefly, you know, about uh, three centurions, three stories about Roman military officers that we find that are predominantly found in our New Testament. Three men who knew what it meant to follow and to give orders. Uh, in fact, uh, let me kind of give you a little bit of background to understand, you know, uh, about uh, their entanglement. Remember, they've taken over the Jewish people. They are occupying. And so there's not a lot of love lost between the Jewish people and the Roman occupiers. Uh, in today's day, uh, it's the same thing that's happening in Ukraine. You know, their feelings towards Russia. Keep praying for those in the Ukraine, by the way. In World War II, when you think about Poland and France under Nazi occupation, and that's what they're feeling because Rome, has taken over them and they do not like what they're doing, the taxes and, and everything that's being taken place right now, or back then. And uh, speaking of the Roman military, you know, just to give you a basic kind of, it's very similar to our military. You got infantry, you know, uh, men that would be there. And then you'd have someone that would oversee six to eight guys. And then you'd have someone who's actually called a centurion who'd oversee those commanders, which means that they would oversee 60 to 80. And then you'd have somebody that would oversee 460 to 500. And then you'd actually have a legionnaire who's overseeing 5,000 men at that time frame. So what we want to do is we want to take a look at three men who are centurions, which means they oversaw you know, this group of people, about 60 to, to 80 different guys. So let's look at our first three men. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 7. There's verses 1 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles at the back for you. But again, we'll show the verses on the screen, you know, today as well. As you're turning there, let me start with this question. Uh, when do you decide to finally reach out to a greater power that is outside of your control? When do you finally say, you know what, I actually need to ask for help? When do I get there? See, for most of us, uh, we don't. Uh, we don't uh, until we're actually at the very end. We, we, we are uh, raised in a culture that says, you know, it's almost uh, not manly or it's not, you know, helpful. Or you have to swallow some pride to actually admit you need help. And so we resist that idea of help until we've actually come to the end of ourselves. And that's where we actually find the story of this first military man in Luke chapter seven, verse one. When Jesus had finished saying all of this, he had just finished talking to the people. He returned to Capernaum at that time the highly valued slave of a Roman officer who is a centurion was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. Why? Because he couldn't do it. No matter how much military might, how much authority, no matter how much influence that he was in charge of in that region, he didn't have the power to be able to heal this valued servant of his. 
And he must have cared about him because even in that time frame, if you have those servants and even those slaves, for him to go to this extent means there was a deep and profound relationship. So these messengers, these Jewish elders, came to Jesus and they begged Jesus to help the man, which should be astonishing because there's no way Jewish people would be like, yes, let's help our Roman occupiers. Let's help these people who are over, over, overseeing us. But now we want to read the next verse. You'll understand why. They said, if anyone deserves your help, he does. Why? For he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. Now, I was in Israel a few weeks ago, and one of the places I got a chance to go to was in Capernaum, and you actually see 2,000 years later this specific synagogue that Jesus spent so much of his time in. Most of the time, you and I think of synagogues, you might have tents, you know, like this ancient world, but no, you see marble and stone and great cost and great expense to where the, the Roman centurion out of his own pocket helped pay for the Jews to have this. So he has gone you know, across enemy lines and built a relationship with these Jews so much that they're willing to go to Jesus on his behalf. And so Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the centurion sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, then they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And it's not even coming from a Jewish person. It's coming from a Roman occupier. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed, completely healed. See, he knew what it was, what was, what it was like to command others. He knew that when he says something, they're supposed to obey. He knew that if they didn't, there would be great punishment. Some of you know this feeling as well. You're an owner. You're a manager of a business. And when you say something, there is an expectation, otherwise there's ramification when you actually ask somebody to do something. You might find this in your own house. If you ask your kids or other people to do something and they don't do it, then there's actually discipline. There's consequence that's involved. He's used to being in charge of 60 to 80 men. He's used to being able to tell them, but he has run to the end of what his power and his authority is capable of doing. And he finally... When he's come to the end of himself, he finally turns to Jesus. So I wonder, do you have a need? Do you have something in your life that you need to bring to Jesus? But you're not sure how. Uh, you know, there's something beyond. You've tried. It could be, could be a relationship mess. You know, it could be a financial mess. It could be, you know, a sickness of some kind. There could be, you know, a, a parenting difficulties. I don't know that there's a, there's a situation beyond your control that you're finally at your wit's end saying, I might need help outside of myself. And could that person be Jesus? See, one of the hardest things uh, for us to do, and I'm going to say specifically for us men, is it's uncomfortable for us to pray. Right? It's uncomfortable for us you know, to actually to pray out loud, especially to be able to say, yeah, we'll do it in our own minds and hearts, but, but to actually be able to do that. But do you understand when you do that, that you're not doing it alone? And that's what can be very uncomfortable. 
See, we've been in a series called uh, The Forgotten God, where we've looked at this idea of what's called the Holy Spirit, which is when you accept Jesus, his presence comes inside of us. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does on our behalf is it intercedes for us. It takes our prayers and however I'm fumbled or messed up and we're not eloquent with them, and he takes them to Jesus. In fact, in Romans chapter eight, it says this, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. See, notice you don't have to have all the words. You just have to have the humility. The willingness to say, God, I need you. So the question is, do you have things or people in your life that you need to bring to Jesus? Just like the centurion to be able to say, you know what? I'm not even worthy, maybe even to have Jesus come into my house, but I know that there's gotta be something greater than me because I can't solve this situation on my own. See, that's the first thing. The second, we're gonna look at a second centurion, but here's the question I wanna ask you know, before that is, what would it take for you to realize, to admit in front of others that Jesus is the son of God? That Jesus is the son of God. You see, for that, we wanna to go to our second story. Uh, and there was a one person, if you think about Jesus' death on the cross, there was, there was only one person that was there through it all. It, it wasn't Mary. Yeah, she was there at the end. It wasn't his disciples. You know, they came and went. It wasn't Pilate. He showed up from time to time. It wasn't the religious people. It wasn't the Jews. You know, the person that was with Jesus for the last 16 hours of his life was a centurion. See, when Jesus got arrested in the garden and then was taken into the barracks and then was presented before Pilate and then was taken to be beaten and then actually was put on the cross, all those 16 hours, there had to be a centurion that was overseeing it all. And so the person who had the front row seat to the end of Jesus' life wasn't friends or family members, it was a centurion. Now notice that he, he would have witnessed his trial, witnessed how Jesus responded to the Roman leaders, how he interacted with people. He oversaw those beatings. He would have been the one to, to be in charge of telling his soldiers to commence with the whips. He was there when Jesus was crucified. He heard Jesus call out for something to drink, heard him talking to one of the thieves about something called paradise. He heard Jesus call out to God, something about forsaking him. He also noticed that Jesus did not behave like most of the other dying men that he put on the cross, that there was something different. See, he didn't curse the people that who mocked him or accused the people who put him there like other people who had died before him. Instead, he noticed that Jesus prayed for those who condemned him. He offered forgiveness to the thief who was on the cross next to him. And at the end, Jesus turned his spirit to God and proclaimed with a loud voice, it is finished. After watching all of this, this is what we read. When a Roman officer, the centurion, who stood facing him, saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. The same story is found in Luke where we read that the man worshiped and praised God. What was it that took the soldier to finally say, you know what? I think he is the son of God. Do you notice it wasn't in his high places? It wasn't in his miracles. It wasn't in his teaching. It wasn't in what he said. It was actually how he handled pain, how he handled suffering. 
See, it's easy to be nice. It's easy to have a good reputation when things are going well. It's much more challenging because it's truly exposed who we are when things are not up and to the right. And Jesus showed this centurion something he'd never seen before through those last 16 hours where he's like, whoa, this guy is something different. I need to pay attention. And as he walked that journey, those 16 hours, it changed his life forever. Side note, if you are a follower of Jesus, people notice way more how you handle difficulty, how you handle stress, how you handle challenges versus how you handle things that are great, which is why these last two years during COVID and everything else that, that goes on, the world is watching to see, is there something different if you're a follower of him? See, when recognizing though that Jesus is the son of God, choosing to follow him, you need to understand this, you become part of something bigger than yourself. And this Roman centurion didn't understand this at the time, but we know that during Father's Day, there's something unique about dad wounds in people's lives. We know that we live in a society where there is a pandemic of epic proportions when it comes to the fatherlessness in our world. And you can see how that's affecting the family. You can just do just little bits of research and it's undeniable of those effects. But what God is offering is through Jesus Christ is he becomes, as Eric talked about earlier, the father, especially to the fatherless. See, in Psalm chapter 68, verse five, it says, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. So on this Father's Day, you have a father who relates, a father who is kind, a father who is compassionate, who wants to be there, who wants to walk a journey of life with you if you would allow him, and a, someone who understands suffering, understands pain, and is willing to be there in our lives as well. The question though is, have you received him? Have you said, yep, I'm gonna make him my savior. I'm gonna make him my boss. It's easy to say, I believe in God. There's a lot of people out there say, I believe in God, but there's no evidence in that person's life whether they believe in God or not. There actually has to be proof of that, which is why we say, have you made him Lord? Have you made him the boss of your life? And that's what the centurion was realizing. I need something greater than myself to help me beyond myself and so he called him the son of God, which leads us to the last story of the centurion. See, as men, we always have an opportunity to learn, but you understand that basic learning has to come with some sense of humility. If you and I are people who think we know it all, even in whatever field we think we're an expert, we actually won't grow in learning. And we find this in this third story because we understand you know, that Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit is there to teach us if we'll just listen, if we'll pause, if we'll reflect. John 14, 26, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything, will remind you of everything I have told you. So this last story we find in Acts chapter 10. And here we have a God-fearing man and his name is Cornelius. And the Bible says that he is a centurion. So he's overseeing 60 to 80 men, you know, in this region. Specifically, he's over, overseeing an Italian, an Italian regiment. It also says that he was devout. He was God-fearing. And it says, as was everyone in his house. And he generously gave to the poor and prayed regularly to God. And so one afternoon in a vision, he has this vision. And in the vision, God says to him through this angel, you need to go and send some messengers to a place called Joppa. And there I want you to find this guy named Peter. And he's gonna come and tell you what I've told him to tell you. And so he wakes up from this vision. He's like, okay, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. So he sends messengers to Peter. Well, while they're on their way, Peter falls into a trance. It's the middle of the afternoon. And he also has a vision. His vision is a little different. 
You see, his vision is that he sees this sheet that is coming down from heaven in the four corners. It is actually, as it opens up to him, he sees all of these unclean animals, all these animals that Jews were not supposed to be around, touch, and definitely not eat because of dietary laws or restrictions based on the Old Testament. So uh, all of a sudden, he hears this voice from God and says, and it says to Peter, get up, kill, and eat. By the way, that is the favorite verse of all the Bible for hunters. You know, I know you guys have memorized that over and over and over. Get up, kill, and eat. You know, and so he gets up. He's like, no, 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 I will never do I've never done that before, Lord. Why would I do that now? And three times he has this vision, and then all of a sudden he wakes up. He has no idea what's going on, and right then, a knock at the door. And they said, hey, we're representing this centurion. So now he thinks he's in trouble, obviously. And he, so, but he begrudgingly goes with them. And as he's you know, on the way, and as he's heading there, we find him in verse 28, as he comes into the house and it says, Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. See, Peter had to also humble himself in order to learn something new. A lot of times we read, if you've spread the Bible before, you might think that that represents the freedom that the Israelites have to eat whatever they want now. And although that that is true, that's not the point of the vision. The point of the vision to Peter was what you thought was unclean, what you thought you couldn't be around anymore, I'm saying is clean. Whatever prejudice, whatever racism, whatever you know, issues that you have with other people, I'm saying that this message is for everyone. And Peter, you're gonna learn a lesson through this because you think up to this point that this message is just for Jewish people, but no, your eyes are gonna be open because I'm gonna show you that some of the people you have a hardest time with, I'm gonna actually ask you to share my name with. So he gets this conviction and begins to share the good news of Jesus and, and Jesus' life and what he did and, and, and how he lived this sinless life. And I brought this good news, this gospel, and he died on the cross for our sins. It was proven by the resurrection. And then it says in verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius the centurion asked him to stay with them for several days. What a picture. To understand then Peter's mind as well as Cornelius' mind that God is not too far for anyone. In other words, God's grace has no limits and no bounds. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've wandered, the good news can go that far and then some. And that he is searching constantly to invite people into the family of God. Some of the hardest people to reach are people who think they have control. People who think they have authority. And we don't need anybody else. And three instances... We have read three centurions, three different instances. They finally came to the end of themselves. And when we come to the end of ourselves, sometimes that's when God shows up the most. So you might be a person that doesn't believe in prayer, but I've never met anybody who's been in a foxhole who didn't believe in prayer. All right? 
There is a time that you come to the end of yourself, a time where you're like, I can't control this anymore. And then we're open possibly to the reality of God in our lives. And it's God sometimes who shows up the most. You might be here because somebody invited you to a car show, but God wants you here for something greater. And that's between you and him. I'm just the messenger. I'm not, I'm not God. I'm not, you know, I know some of you guys, Never mind. I'm not going to go there. (laughs) And so I just want, I just want to know for you, where do you see yourself in the story? Maybe there's one centurion versus another, three different instances, all still recognizing we've come to the end of ourselves. And so your next step, will you accept Jesus as Lord? Maybe some of you who've accepted him as, as your Lord, you've already done that already, already that you'd lean upon him in life. Because again, like I said, it's easy to say, I believe in God. But what does that even mean? You know what? I believe in God. The Bible says even the demons believe in God, at least they fear him a little bit. You know, at least they shudder. And so you're like, what makes you different than a demon? Say, I believe in God. There's got to be something more, you know, than that. There has to be putting myself into the presence of God, following his path for my life, because he does want us to experience the abundant life that he has promised for us. Not an easy life, but a fulfilled life in him. Maybe to find ways to learn from him all through the power of his Holy Spirit. And as always, as we say around here, the decision and choice is yours. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for our time today, for us to be able to gather in your name. I just pray that you would just lead us and guide us, direct us, and help us to see, Father, what it is that you want us to receive and what this means for us. On this Father's Day, thank you for being our Father because of Jesus Christ. Thank you for allowing us to be part of a family. Thank you for allowing us to journey through life, not on our own. Help us to have the humility that it takes to continue to depend on you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.